week's edition of the Sportsaholic Podcast. As always, I'm Max Zucker, and along for the show is Mr. Sean Conway. Happy New Year to all of our fans and listeners. Happy New Year's to you, Sean Conway. How did you and Lindsay uh, celebrate the incoming of 2021 and the ousting of a terrible 2020? We kind of just laid low. Danny and his fiance came over. Uh, we made meatballs. We made buffalo chicken dip, and Danny actually brought down some uh, some packaged Italian beef from Portillo's on his way back nice. from uh, from Christmas. Obviously, Lindsay and I we went to uh, to Dallas to uh, spend time with her mother during uh, during Christmas this year, and everything nice. went well with that as well. Um, Good. Something cool that I got for Christmas this year actually was from her mom, and it's an outdoor security camera. I have an indoor one from Blink, but I always wanted an outdoor one to watch the cars and the dogs when they're out in the backyard. So that was pretty cool to get from her mom. Yeah, that's and, a nice uh, gift, dude. That's a really nice gift. Oh, yeah, very nice. So I'm, I was happy with that. Outside of that, just been enjoying the new year, been cooking some good foods here and there. Last night I uh, made a... A uh, chicken breast and stuffing green bean casserole, if you will, Ooh. in the crock pot. And then the other night, actually, I made an Italian chicken breast in the with Italian dressing in the uh, instant pot, while making cheese asparagus risotto on the stove, and also had some steamed asparagus to go along with it as well. So that was a pretty tasty dinner as well. What have you been cooking since the uh, since the New Year, Max? Well, you know what? You talked about one of your favorite gifts. Well, my favorite gift from Christmas came from my mom, and that was an electronic meat smoker. I got the Big Chief uh, electronic uh, smoker from Smokehouse Products. It's a really nice um, smoker. I was smoking, actually, chicken wings all day yesterday. They turned out to be damn fine, so they're just damn fine. Um, It was great, though. It was truly great. I enjoy smoking meat. I can't wait to smoke more meat uh, in my meat smoker. So it was a good Christmas. It was a good... I was glad, Sean, just to get rid of 2021 after what a crazy year it was. And just kind of feel like we're kind of having a fresh start. You know what I mean? 2021 presents a fresh start. So I say let's get on with it. Let's get a fresh start with the 2021 year of the Sportsaholic Podcast. And we got two great matchups today. And this will be our final uh, matchups before we get to the final four already for our uh, football talks here of the uh, of the bracket. Sean, we got some great matchups today. We're starting off with uh, Devin Hester and wide receiver Steve Smith. Why don't you inform us a little bit more on Devin Hester? All right. Well, we all know Devin Hester is widely regarded as one of the greatest return men of all time. There's no doubt he has the record for most returns of all time, so you can't really even argue that in, in that sense. However... What I think brings him back will be his primary position outside of the return man. Because, I mean, he was brought in as a cornerback, then he transitioned to receiver, return man specialist. But let's get into it real quick. Hester was a four-time Pro Bowler, a three-time first-team All-Pro with one-time second-team All-Pro. He was a three-time special teams player of the year as voted by the NFL alumni. And holds the record, like I said, for the most turn TDs with 20 throughout his career, also holding the record for most punt return touchdowns with 14 and tied the record for most return touchdowns in a single season with six in his sophomore year of 2007 with the Chicago Bears. 
He's the only guy to have ever returned an opening kickoff in the Super Bowl, which, by the way, I had bet my dad $20 the morning of. I think I've mentioned that in the show before, but I will never let that down because he still hasn't gotten me back. But I think after paying for college, we might be a little bit even there. Anyways, his stat line, like I said, as a receiver will hurt him, though. Only 3,300 yards receiving on 255 receptions. Did average 13 yards of reception throughout his career, though. Do I think he makes the Hall of Fame? In real life, eventually, yes. However, for argument's sake, I'm not sure he's going to be able to hold up against Steve Smith, who, in his own right, was a pretty effective return man and an effective receiver. Yeah, and let me get to that. You know, like you said, he was an effective return man nowhere near Devin Hester. And you really think about it, it was really just Steve Smith's first three years that he was used in the return game. And then he had that injury, and they were like, no, we're done with that. You can play wide receiver, which he did. A great job, Sean. Again, I mentioned this last time, five-time Pro Bowler, but he's 12th in career receptions. In fact, he's the only uh, receiver under six foot in NFL history, to have over a thousand uh, grabs in their career, I think that's an astonishing feat right there. Uh, Smith listed out at five nine throughout his career. Uh, he's eighth all time in receiving yards with over fourteen thousand. Ninth all time in all purpose yards, and he's twenty fourth uh, uh, in yards from scrimmage. Now here's the real kicker of Steve Smith's career, and this is what I really love about Smith. He had eight 1,000, uh, uh, eight seasons where he collected a thousand receiving yards or more. Uh, he did that also in four straight campaigns, and he's the last receiver, Sean, to have the uh, the triple crown essentially, which is. Uh, leading the league in uh, receptions, yards, and touchdowns. And he did that back in 2005. We've only seen three other, or we've only seen three receivers have the Triple Crown since the draft class era began, began in 1966. The other two would be Sterling Sharp and Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. Wow. All right. So, yeah, I think in this case, Smith has to move on here. I don't think. Devin, this necessarily means that we say Devin Hester doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. I believe he will make the Hall of Fame. Will he be a first ballot on, on, on his first attempt? I don't think so. However, I do think Devin Hester will eventually make the Hall of Fame as the greatest return man of all time. I agree with that, too. I think he's the greatest there, and I don't think he's a guy that's going to get voted in right away. I think it's going to be one of those ones down the line on one of those... Um, veteran committees that um that eventually lets him in i agree so if you're good though with moving on with steve smith for the final four i am as two i am as well let's say let's get into our second part of the bracket which actually has another this is a pair of wide receivers here uh cliff branch and a tory holt what do you got on branch well cliff branch was a uh, integral part of the passing game for the Raiders during the yeah. 70s and 80s, helping them win the Super Bowl in 1976, 1980, and the 1984 seasons. So he's a three-time Super Bowl champ, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro. He led the league in reception yards in 1974, as well as leading the league in reception touchdowns in 74 and in 76. And he's tied for the record with about a baker's dozen of uh, other guys for the longest TD reception of all time 
at 99 yards. Can't really get much oh, wow. longer than that. He was no. a nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and a semifinalist, actually, in 2004 and 2010. But he failed to make his bid. In 2011, the Pro Football, the Professional Football Researchers Association, actually, named Branch to the PFRA Hall of Very Good Class of 2011. And honestly, I think that's where he'll stay in regards to this matchup here. Well, let me put it to you this way. Torrey Holt will be a finalist this year. He actually just got the bid, I want to say, three or four days ago that he will be on the ballot. And I think he's got, and people will listen to the Sportsaholic podcast today, Sean. I think I got a pretty good reason why he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, besides being a seven-time Pro Bowler and, of course, being a one-time Super Bowl champion with the greatest show on turf in 1999 with those Rams, he was a Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame uh, 2000s team member who led the league in receiving two times. Now, here's where his metrics to me are. I, I would have never believed this. I would have never have known this until I actually you know, read it and was like, wow, this is truly insane. He had eight straight 1,000-yard seasons from 2000 to 2007. Eight straight with 1,000-plus yards, including six straight with 1,300 yards. No player in NFL history has ever had a, a streak of that, of having 13 consecutive uh, 1,300 consecutive receiving yards in six consecutive campaigns. Not only, again, did he have the eight straight with the 1,000, all of those had 1,100 yards. The only player, Sean, in NFL history to have more 1,100 receiving yard seasons in consecutive campaigns would be Jerry Rice's nine again to Holt's eight. So I think that's a pretty good um uh, uh, start to his conversation there. If you also look at it, I know he had Hall of Famer Kurt Warner thrown to him for his three, first three or four seasons he was in the league. After that, it was all Mark Bulger, who was one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. I can't believe he hung around. Yeah, you're already laughing because you know that St. Louis should never have kept Mark Bulger the eight or nine seasons that they did, and that's who threw to him for the majority of his catcher uh, of his catchers was Mark Bulger. Last point on Holt, and this is the one that should lock this thing up: seventy-seven point four yards a game receiving. That's eighth all time, and at the time he retired, it was sixth all time. I mean, again, thirteen hundred straight se- uh, yard seasons in six consecutive campaigns. 1,100 in eight consecutive campaigns and 77.4 yards per game, putting him eighth all-time or sixth when he's retired. To me, I I think this is clear ballot Hall of Fame, and I can't believe the Hall hasn't seen this. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So I guess moving on out of the, the final matchup of the second round of the Bids and Stumps matchups will be Steve Smith on the, on the bid side, and on the snub side we got Tory Holt taking us to break is DJ Cumberbend with his song Wishmaster. On the flip side of this break, we'll go all over the news around the NFL before diving in to the wild card round. You're listening to the Sportsaholics Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. DJ Cumberbund.
Back to the Sportsaholic Podcast. That was Wishmaster by DJ Cumberbund. Thanks for your musical contributions today. All yeah, right, well, was, we uh, get that was interesting. It combined uh, what Metallica's uh, Master of Puppets and Stevie Wonder's I Wish, and then I got a little bit of I hear a little always you hear a little bit of Randy Savage, but did I hear a little bit of Will Smith in there too? I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a pretty entertaining one. You don't really see those two songs mashing up, but they they blend pretty well. No, nah, he does a good job of uh, of his blends. I like DJ Cumberbund and how he blends the signs. It's pretty. He does a good job, and we appreciate his efforts on the Sportsaholic podcast. Let's get into some NFL news, Sean. Lots of firings going around the league. Adam Gase out with the Jets after two seasons and a nine and twenty-three record. His two and fourteen record is what really killed him. And they're not going to be getting the number one pick in this year's draft. So he was an easy, easy clip for uh, the the Jets, in my opinion. I'm surprised he hung around for a full second season, to be honest. Yeah, I I've never really understood the. Uh... The the excitement behind Adam Gase and it's not really shocking that after going two and fourteen that he's no longer the head coach there. Some other head coaching firings after four seasons the Jaguars will part ways with Doug Marone. He went twenty five and forty four, including his postseason record there with the Jaguars in Jacksonville the last four seasons. So now the Jags look to restructure, um, alter and restructure, and find a good meshing duo to fit both their open. Coach and GM position that they uh, they opened up back in November, I believe, when they parted ways with their GM. Outside of that, other coaching firings around the league. A big coaching carousel always follows the uh, last week of the NFL. But the Chargers yes. part ways with Anthony Lynn as well after four seasons as head coach. He went 7-9, or the Chargers went 7-9 this season, losing seven of their nine losses by a one-score game. So wow. really close games, poor decision-making led to the downfall this season. The Chargers made a push near the end, though, winning their last four in hopes of securing Lynn's job. I don't think that really worked, though, as Lynn was announced on Monday that they'd be parting ways. 
Lynn was told Monday, I should say, that they'd be parting ways with him. Lynn went 33-31 and 31 with the Chargers and a 1-1 one one postseason record in those four seasons. Max, what else is happening around the NFL? Uh, Not too much, but I just John Elway stepping down from being the primary football decision maker for the uh, Denver Broncos. He's been their uh, decision maker for the past decade. However, after a 5-11 season and five uh, straight years without making the playoffs, he uh, will remain the team president. However, he's going to hire a general manager to make football decisions along with head coach Vic Fangio. Um, it's about time. Look, Elway did his job. He brought him to two Super Bowls in the earlier part of his, um, obviously in his playing career, but his, you know, his uh, tenure as a front office executive. He brought him there twice, winning one of those Super Bowls. But like you said, the last five years without a playoffs, it's time to shake things up in Denver, Sean. Exactly, and you know, getting a new uh, a new GM to have control over the football operations. Just bring a new fresh set of eyes to that Denver Broncos re- uh, roster. Let's move back out east to the Eagles and what has been oh my god uh, labeled as a potential tanking. And I wanted to kind of clear the air. So Jalen Hurts was benched in the third quarter after a less than stellar performance. For his name is even escaping me. I didn't write it down in my notes, and he he was you know a backup to a backup to a backup. So. I don't remember his name, but oh, they had a couple uh, of questionable play calls. Well, if you have the name, let me know. But you, uh, if you don't I do. have it on, you don't worry. So, anyways, they had a couple of questionable play Nate calls. Sutfield. Like, Nate Sutfield. Sorry, there we go. Yes, yes. But, you know, to me, it just looked like a bad football team trying to reach the finish line, which for them was just the end of the season. They didn't have any playoff aspirations. They were just trying to get to the end. And you know what? Honestly, yeah, they could have kicked a field goal at the end there to, to tie it maybe, but they didn't call the right place to get them down the field to be in a, in a good spot. I know a lot of the Giants players and the media and even their and the Giants coach was calling it a disrespect of the game and that they threw the game. And I think that those calls, I think they're baseless. I, I honestly, like I said, I think it was just a bad football team finishing out the season and it just so happened that their rival by them losing didn't get to make the playoffs. Well, boo freaking who you're crying about your six and 10 team right. being cheated out of the playoffs. How about you win a few more games and secure a spot out of your terrible division? Come on. It's just the New York that- media driving it up and everyone knows that. No, that's exactly what that is, Sean. And then Eli Manning, we uh, sending out a tweet. We hate the Eagles, and Fletcher Cox responded back like, "We don't like you guys much either." Like, like it's a rivalry. It's part of sports, right? And Joe Judge, the head coach, before he was critical of you know Peterson and the uh, Eagles, how they you know tanked or didn't follow through, you know, quote unquote, you know, professional football protocols throughout the game, whatever. Um, 
He said, look, we just weren't, you know, we weren't good enough. We didn't capitalize on where we need to make, you know, where we needed to capitalize on. There's 16 whole games in every year, and we only won six. So, you know, the reason why we're SOL is on us. However, he just thought it was really disrespectful of Peterson. And my thought on Peterson is he's let, he's done with Carson once. We're done with that experiment in Philadelphia. It was, it had its moments, it had its ups, it had its downs, and then it had its really low downs during this season they're done with that they wanted to see what they had in Jalen Hurts a second round pick and yeah honestly they went because they lost that game they went from either pick nine or or pick 10 all the way up to pick six and if you're going to try to build around Jalen Hurts well maybe get a guy like Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith at, at a pick six you know, is a lot more likely than pick, you know, 9 or 10. And if you really want to build this team around uh, Hurts for the future, you're going to need wide receivers. So I, I, I didn't think it was a bad thing to throw it right at the end. I just didn't. You're trying to get yourself in a better draft order as well. And what the hell, why not bring out Nate Sudfeld? He's been on your roster three or four years. Might as well see what you got out of him too. I know you're probably going to roll with Hurts going forward, but it doesn't hurt to see what you got in your backup. I agree. I agree. So, you know what? Let's move on from this because the NFC East is just a joke and it's kind of irritating us to talk about them for this long. We've been talking a solid uh, <laughs> yeah, wait. solid eight, four minutes on them now. So, Jesus. let's move on. Let's go. Our yeah. final bit of NFL news before we dive into the wild card round. We don't really like to talk too highly of Tom Brady as much on our show because we think he's just the worst. But, we will say this. Tom Brady's a good friend. So, in the final two minutes of the Buccaneers game this weekend, Tom Brady completed three late shovel passes to Antonio Brown to bring him up to 11 catches on the day and 45 catches on the season, which helped him earn his $250,000 bonus. So, good on Tom Brady for finding what it would take to make sure his friends thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Antonio Brown, one of those names who's been another up-and-down guy throughout the league. I'm kind of glad that he finished off the season with the catch amount so he could get his bonus. It shows that he's still in his prime. Uh, last two notes, Sean, on the NFL season, and then we're going to get to the – we're going to take a break and get to the playoffs uh, on our next block here. But uh, Derrick Henry, your boy Derrick Henry from Bama, uh, 2,027 rushing yards this year, becoming just the eighth player in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards. He joins Chris Johnson as the only other Titan uh, to reach that mark. And man, we were talking about uh, uh, Justin Herbert and Anthony Lynn and that whole Chargers team and what they're going to do going forward now that they fired Lynn. They have to build around Justin Herbert. Let me give you this kid's rookie stats from the year. Un- Incredible what Herbert did as a rookie this year. That seven and nine record, like you were saying, especially because of all those one uh, games they lost by a, a point or so. This team really should be on the cusp of being a, a really good team because they found their uh, quarterback in Herbert, who now holds the rookie records for total touchdowns with 36, passing touchdowns with 31s, completions 396, 300 pass yard games with 8 as a rookie. That also tied a franchise record. You think about all the passing Phillip Rivers had, so for him to do that in his first season in a Chargers uniform, 
incredible. Uh, Multi-touchdown games with 10, three touchdown games with six. He, the only thing Sean he was short on was the passing yards. He fell just 39 yards short of the passing mark, still is held by uh, Andrew Luck. But other than that, Herbert looks like the real deal, and uh, that was a, he was an exciting player to watch this year. I'll agree, I'll agree. All right, that wraps up the news for the NFL. On the flip side of this, we're going to dive into Wild Card Weekend, which starts coming up on Saturday. You're listening to the Sports Hogs Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. Hey, it's Max again, and I work with autistic children as part of my job. Do you know the early signs of autism in children? They can include lack of speech, lack of eye contact, and sensory sensitivity. You know your child best. And recognizing the signs of autism is an important first step. Early screening can make a lifetime of difference for both children and parents. You can learn more at screenforautism.org. That's screenforautism.org. We're back for another lap here on the Sportsaholics podcast. And kicking off the wild card round this weekend, the NFL starts their postseason with the 1205 yes. AFC wild card matchup between the 11 and 5 Ravens. And the hosting 11-5 Tennessee Titans. The Titans game plan should be pretty simple. Give the ball to Derrick Henry and use the other 12, 10 guys on the field as blockers. Henry has just been an absolute beast this season, as Max alluded to before the break, with 2,027 yards on 378 carries, 17 touchdowns, leading the league in all three of those categories. However, Tannehill wow. has also had a decent season. 3,819 uh, yards, 33 touchdowns. That's tied for 7th in the league with a completion pe- a percentage of 65.4 that and 7 interceptions, which is also tied for 7th. And a third of Tannehill's touchdowns have been going to... Is, I'm not sure. Is he a rookie or is he a a, a, um, a sophomore? A.J. Brown receiver. I'm pretty sure he's a rookie. Uh, second. Oh, it's a second, second year? year? Okay, so A.J. Brown has had a third of those 33 touchdown passes... So 11 going to A.J. Brown, who's just helped improve that Tennessee air game this season. Baltimore's offense has been pretty one-dimensional. And if they can stop Lamar Jackson, they're going to be able to control the game. You look at it, their run game, their receivers, they aren't as strong, really, in comparison to Tennessee in this one. I think if you could slow down Lamar Jackson's run game and pass game, you're going to be able to control the game. Jackson, obviously, like I, said, like I said, has been the team's leading passer and leading rusher, which does not bode well for the Ravens as it makes an easy game plan for that Tennessee defense. I'll take the Titans in this one. Yeah, I like your uh, call on the Titans in that one. Oh, I think whoops. you're right. I think that Lamar was a Saturday Jackson. game. My apologies. That was the, that, the, that was the yeah. Sunday game, I mean. Saturday is Colts and Bills. Max, give me the, the second two games on Saturday, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish off with the, the Saturday matchup. Yeah, that's fine. Real quick then, uh, at 3.40 this Saturday, we have the Los Angeles Rams and the Seahawks, divisional rivals who went 1-1 one one against each other during the regular season. It's more mostly injury concerns than matchups that I'm concerned about, Sean. Uh, the um, Rams will be without quarterback Jared Goff once again who missed last week because of thumb injury he'll be out again and they got a lot of uh, people who injured on their offensive line including Andrew Whitworth who we know will be out and has been but also 
Uh, offensive tackles David Edwards and Joe Noteboom are highly questionable for this game, so that would be a lot to the uh, to lose on the offensive line, especially when you're bringing in John Walford for his second career NFL start, and it's a playoff one. He had a nice game against the Cardinals last week, Sean. First player in their NFL debut with uh, 200 passing yards and 50 rushing yards, and that was in his first start since he started for Wake Forest in 2017. So I don't think this is going to be that well uh, when you're, again, out your starting quarterback, out some notable linemen, and Michael Brockers on your defensive side for the Rams. So your pass rush against Russell Wilson's also going to be disrupted this game. And like I just mentioned the name, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the king of the playoffs as far as I'm concerned, at least around now. I think they get to the Rams no problem. I go 21-16. Alrighty, alrighty. Um, 27-16. You want me to do the the Saturday night, oh, Saturday day game? I missed up on a, the 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 Ravens Titans games on Sunday at twelve. Yeah, go for that, and then I'll yeah, and then I'll finish off on on Saturday night. Go uh, ahead. Backtrack a little bit. Before that game, we have the twelve oh five Saturday game between the eleven and five Colts and the thirteen and three Bills. Josh Allen has really came into his own this season. Sixty nine percent completion rate, forty five over forty five hundred yards, thirty seven touchdowns, and ten interceptions giving him the third-best QBR in the league at 81.7. Dang. Wow. He pairs up nicely with his wide receiver, Stephon Diggs, who's had eight touchdowns of those 37, which actually isn't all that much if you if you consider it. But he has had 127 receptions with a league-leading 1,535 receiving yards. As for the Colts, they wow. have the third best pass, the best third best rusher in this, this season, and rookie Jonathan Taylor. Believe it or not, the rookie is the third best running back in the league this year, who has come onto the scene guns blazing with 1,169 yards and 11 touchdowns, averaging five yards a carry. Diggs, Taylor, and the Colts quarterback Philip Rivers are all listed as questionable for Saturday, but if there's an ounce showing that those guys are good to go. Best believe they'll see the field. I think this is going to be a fun game. Offensive shootout between the two. I can't pick one or the other. Uh, you know what, though? Like you said, if Jonathan Taylor can get going, that's going to be very, very, very uh, important for the Colts. Because if he can get going, it opens up so many other things. Uh, to recap then, for Saturday night, we have Tampa Bay at Washington. We kind of talked about Washington enough. I think their only chance, Sean, being a 7-9 and nine, team is if their pass rush between rookie Chase Young who had seven and a half sacks and the another young kid they drafted just two or three years ago in the first round Montez Sweat who has nine sacks those two guys are going to be imperative when you're playing against Tom Brady in the Bucks. uh 290 yards passing for Brady is second best in uh the NFL uh, her game and the Buccaneers are scoring over 30 Point eight points a game, which is third best. Washington only 29, uh, 20.9 points a game, which is 25th. And they just don't have it to me. Again, you've got to play Brady versus their, what, their group of quarterbacks. So they featured Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, 
uh, uh, Kyle Allen and Taylor Henneke, who wound it up throwing for 16 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. You're a 7-19 that squeaked it by because Ron Rivera is a great defensive-minded coach, and your defense slightly got you through a crappy uh, NFC East division. I think Brady and the Bucks roll 31-17 here. Sean, you already mentioned the Sunday noon game. Let me get to the 340 game before we close out on our football discussions for the week. That's our Bears, my friend. Our Bears squeaked in the playoffs at the seventh seed, the last seed at 8-8. Eight and eight. They're taking on the number two seed in the New Orleans Saints. Uh, well, I won't have to talk quarterbacks here because our uh, Chicago's quarterback is a bust and Drew Brees is going to be a future Hall of Famer here. The only difference that I'm really seeing here, Sean, is the rush game. We know that Chicago and New Orleans are both heavily stacked on the defensive side. So to me, it's who can run, uh, control the game and run the ball the best. Bears, 25th in rushing attack. Saints, six in the rushing attack. Obviously, it all goes to Alvin Kamara, who led the team in rushing and receiving this year. He's the best uh, dual player in the league right now at the running and receiving uh, spots, and I just think that's going to open up the world. They already beat the Bears by a lot, their first competition, and I don't think Chicago hangs around uh, 41-20 in favor of New Orleans. Yeah, you know what? I was happy to see at least one more week of Bears football, but I knew that we are going to be having much success after the uh, the final weeks of the season. Moving on, we got an AFC North matchup at 7-15 to close out the wild card round. That'd be 11-5 Browns at the 12-4 Steelers. Pittsburgh's coming in, losing four of their last five. So they're literally just staggering into the playoffs after their quote-unquote hot start. I don't, I didn't see their undefeated streak going uh, as strongly as Pittsburgh fans did. They didn't really play much competition. They had a lot of injured teams, um, you know, withered down teams from COVID. They had just bad teams in general that they were playing. Meanwhile, momentum seems to be favoring the Browns, who have won six of their last eight. The divisional foes did split their two games. They played each other this season. And Baker has arguably been the better quarterback this season compared to Big Ben. But let's be real. If, if it wasn't for Alex Smith, I think Big Ben would be the front runner for comeback player of the year, year this year. However, in this I one... I still think he is. I, I think Alex Smith might have him beaten this one. If, if, if Alex Smith yeah, doesn't win, they better, they better rename the comeback player of the year award to the Alex Smith comeback player of the year. Anyways... I think in this one, it's going to come down to experience. The Browns will be missing out their head coach, uh, Kevin Stefanski, due to COVID, along with two other members of the coaching staff and two players, including their key guard, Pro Bowl guard, I should say, Joel Patino, or Patonio, I should say. Patonio. So they'll be out a couple of key players on their offense and their head coach. I just feel like experience is going to win in this one. I don't think the Browns will extend their uh, their stay in the playoffs, giving a quick but short end and a bittersweet end, I think, to their uh, <laughs> to their to their playoff aspirations. I think the Steelers just absolutely mow down the Browns in this one to move on to the divisional round. See, it's going it's such a tough one because you know Ben Roethlisberger looked like he was the comeback player of the year, and still to me is nothing against Smith, but six touchdowns, eight interceptions doesn't do it for me. Um, 
But the way he played the last five weeks, when they were they did have you know they were they were eleven and zero, and the way they faltered to a one and four finish, and part of it was Ben Roethlisberger. He looks old. They're going to have to be getting out uh, real quick on the Browns, man. Their training facility has remained closed on Wednesday, and they are going to continue to do uh, contact tracing and wait for additional COVID nineteen test results. This just coming in a few minutes ago, like you said. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, who I have to say this, I do give him a, a round of applause uh, because when you can come in and take the uh, Cleveland Browns, who haven't made the playoffs in, what, 9, 18, 19 seasons, to do it in your first year as a head coach, awesome. But uh, like you said, they're going to be without him. It's going to be tough. But it's going to be a fun week of football, my friends. It's going to be a fun week of football. I'm kind of glad we have that extra game this year. It does add a little bit of, of that intensity for rivalry weekend. But let's take a quick break here, Sean, on the Sportsolic Podcast. And on the flip side of this, we're going to get into some more football, believe it or not. This time, though, the College National uh, Championship. Number three, Ohio State taking on number one, Alabama. The matchup, the preview, coming up right here on the Sportsolic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. We're back for another lap here on the Sportsaholics podcast. Max, I'm a happy man today, and I think you know why I'm a happy man, because Alabama getting some more recognition, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Wide receiver Devontae Smith becomes the third Alabama player and the third wide receiver in general to win the Heisman Trophy, becoming also the first wide receiver since Desmond Howard won it in 1991 while at Michigan. Smith led an incredible campaign Back behind quarterback Mac Jones, finished the season with 105 catches for 1,641 yards, averaging 15.6 yards of reception, finding the end zone 20 times through the air, once on the ground, and once as a return man, where he averaged 24.3 yards of return as well. Roll Tide. Can I get a roll tide for me, Max? Yeah, roll tide, roll, man. I, you know what? I am really happy it didn't go to his counterpart, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, any of those quarterbacks. And I'm not saying they weren't deserving, but when I look at this kid, Sean, I get excited. I This is the type of wide receiver that any NFL team should be licking their chops for, essentially. Not only because he wins the Heisman, but just the overall dominant style of play. And he still has one more game, which we're about to get to, to really prove himself of why he's the best receiver uh, in this draft. And not only that, and I know we had some great receivers last year, including your boy Jerry Judy from last year, um, and C.D. Lamb and all this. And I know there's been some good receivers in the past. This is my favorite uh, wide receiver coming out to the draft, I would say, in the last five to eight years. So, right. yeah, this kid's going to be something special to watch at the, at the next level. I'm glad he's got one more college game, which, like I said, we're going to be to get into. But it'll be fun to watch him on NFL Sundays in just a season. But let's get into that big game, Sean. Um Hold on, before we get into that, 
Um, before we get into that, the Heisman runner-up, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback at Clemson, ah. heads into the offseason prepping for the next level as he announced Wednesday morning via social media that he's officially declaring for the NFL draft, and he is widely projected to be the top picks this season. Trevor Lawrence, thanks for your announcement, but you're an afterthought right now. There's a national title game to be played. Let's move on to that. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd want to transition quickly. Now, like you said, you know what? Good for Lawrence. I'm glad he's... I, I, it's kind of weird that he's declaring. I thought he might go back after the bad game and performance against Ohio State. I just didn't think he'd want to go to Jacksonville, who owns the number one pick. And I just think, no way does... J Any team you have to... Because this is my favorite quarterback prospect I've seen in about a decade, Sean. I would say, uh, you know, at least since Andrew Luck and maybe even before that, that I've really seen that I just love. And I, there's everything about him. And we'll get to see him again at the next level last uh, next level uh, next year. And it'll be uh, incredible. So kudos to, uh, to Lawrence and his incredible accomplishments at Clemson. But you're like, they're not in the championship. It's Alabama, Ohio State. I think it probably will be a Bama win, but go ahead, Sean, lead us off with Bama before I finish fill in for what I think Ohio State needs to do to be successful. I think hands down, Alabama has one of the best offensive lines in college football history, maybe behind the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, and then some of those Nebraska Cornhusker offensive lines during the uh, Tom Osborne era. Sure. But the Tide offensive line has been protecting Mac Jones and opening up holes for Najee Harris all season. And that's why their offense has been absolutely dominant. If you could give the Heisman Trophy to an offensive line, Alabama's offensive line would have won it. I think with having the three of the top five Heisman finalists, that being Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, and Najee Harris, you could expect another huge, you know... Alabama dominant game, especially if they can get an expected return of another huge piece to their pass game in Jalen Waddle, who is been cleared to practice this week. Oh wow! In preparations for the That's national huge. championship game, he did he did fracture his ankle back in October, but he is ready to go. They haven't uh, necessarily ruled him out or said he's he's in yet. But if Jalen Waddle's in, good luck to Ohio State. And honestly, I feel like Justin Fields, if he plays, might not be playing all the way at full speed because he did have that pretty bad rib injury uh, after that hard hit he took in the uh, late in the game against Ohio State. He is expected to play through that undisclosed rib injury. However, there has been rumors about the Buckeyes wanting to push the game back due to COVID. I don't want to sound you know, insensitive here, but I think it might have something more to do with Justin Fields and healing up his ribs before getting to play, but we'll leave it at that. Um, I think it opens up an opportunity, though, with that injury for Bama's defense to control the game if they can slow down Fields if he plays. The Buckeyes do have a lot of momentum and have a fresher set of legs, so to speak, but Bama has showed absolutely no signs of slowing down this season, and it should be an entertaining, an entertaining game. Obviously, I'll be screaming Roll Tide the whole time, but I'm not going to give a definitive yes or no that the Bama's going to roll in this one. So I don't know if they'll roll, but I do think they'll win. I have Bama winning currently 45-28. to 28. That's what I have. But 
if so, Ohio State wants to win this game, looking at it from the Big Ten, as you know, I'm more of a Big Ten guy here, Sean, even though I'm not crazy on Ohio State, they do have some great players. And uh, you're talking about Justin Fields. If he's in the game, he's obviously going to try to hit his number one wide receiver, Chris Olave, with 660 uh, yards catching and seven receiving touchdowns. Again, they only played in uh, seven games so far, so those incredible numbers and that short of span. And last week versus Clemson, Olave had six catches, 132 yards, and two scores. So look fields to go uh, in that direction, like you said, if he's on the field and healthy. Regardless, I don't care as much about their passing game, Sean. If you're going to beat Alabama, you have to run the football. You have to control the clock. No ifs, ands, or buts here. You're not going to win the game if you're just throwing it through the air. And that comes down to Trey Sermon for uh, Ohio State. If you look what he's done his last two games, he's averaged 30 rushing attempts per game, and that's what Ohio State is going to have to do. Give the ball 30, 35 times to Sermon. Uh, Sermon had 331 yards on 29 carries and two touchdowns versus Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. And last week versus Clemson had 31 carries for 193 yards and an additional score. So again, that's where the game comes down to me for um, Ohio State on the offensive side. On the defensive side, we already talked about Devontae Smith. The guy that's going to cover him is Sean Wade. Sean Wade uh, had a rough game against Clemson, still projected to be a first, and if he doesn't go first, he'll be a second-round pick. How he plays against Devontae Smith will be will uh, determine his draft capital, but that's who they'll put on Smith. And then I look at a bunch of seniors here for uh, Ohio State. I look at the senior, uh, Jonathan Cooper, leads the team with three-and-a-half sacks. Can he get to Mac Jones at least once, if not twice, during the game? Because if you could put at least a little bit of pressure or get a sack or two, that might open up some chances. And last thing here, Sean, uh, you know, you're going to have to, like you said, control Najee Harris, too. And that starts up front with Haskell Garrett, their defensive tackle. And if he can really con- try to control him at the line of sc- scrimmage or those first two yards in, if not, they're going to have to look at that backup uh, route with linebacker Pete Warner just to try to stop the bleeding. Like I said, though, I think I don't think it'll be a total world tag roll blowout, but like I said, 45-28 is my prediction. I like Bama by 17 on Monday. All right, before we close off our college football talks, Max, I figured we would finish up our talks before the end of the football season on what our favorite moment of the bowl season was. Sure. I'll give it a start with my the quote-unquote Rose Bowl. It wasn't played in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. It was played at Jerry World, I believe, in uh, Arlington. However, my favorite moment came from the Rose Bowl when Najee Harris absolutely put uh, Notre Dame's cornerback Nick McLeod on a poster by hurtling him in route to a 58-yard touchdown run. I absolutely screamed. I mean, I <laughs> I, I, I hurt Lindsey's ears because I screamed that loud at that kind of a, of, of a play. I thought that was absolutely incredible. He got up at least six feet in the air over to hurdle him on that one. So that was my favorite moment of the bowl season so far. 
Yeah, I'm sure your favorite will be if Alabama actually secures what will be, what, their fifth national champion or sixth under Saban? So, their sixth. Yeah, I think this would be their sixth, yeah. So, obviously, that would be more of yours. Uh, This year, Sean, obviously, you know me, I'm a bowl fiend. I like all the bowl games. It seems like literally 50% of them, it seemed like, or at least a third of them were canceled due to COVID, or if that was prior to or even just during bowl season, they had to cancel many games. One game that wasn't... uh, uh, cancel was the Duke's Mail Bowl, something that we talked about, I believe, on the last show. Um, well, Wisconsin wins the Duke's Mail Bowl this year, and as soon as they get into the uh, their locker room with the big Duke's Mail Bowl, the uh, trophy, well, it shattered. Somebody dropped it. <laughs> I'm like, man, yeah, you how dare you drop the Mayo Bowl trophy of all the trophies. Now, I'm glad they didn't drop the uh, the Rose Bowl trophy or something like that. That actually would have been uh, heart-shattering. Duke's Mayo Bowl, I'm sure, will be able, will have enough money to make a new uh, token of some sort for the next Mayo Bowl. Anyways... That is our roundup on bowl games. It has been a lot of college football. We'll do a little recap probably next week on the championship. But other than that, for the college stuff, it's going to be mostly looking towards uh, you know draft reports and that stuff coming up. But again, the big game, the big game Monday night on ESPN, seven o'clock, number three Ohio State taking on number one Alabama for the college football final this year. Should be a hell of a game. Sean, let's get into uh, some trivia, some drink of the week on our next portion of the show. We're going to take a quick break, though, for right now on the Sportsaholic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sportsaholic Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. Welcome back to the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, as we close on the show, I got a good trivia question to you as we've been talking all football today. Well, I mentioned that Derrick Henry, your boy from Alabama, just became the eighth player in the National Football League to rush for 2,000 yards in one season. I gave you a name earlier in Chris Johnson. As I mentioned, he was the only other Titan uh, to do so. But who are the other six guys, Sean, to have six thousand or to have two thousand yards rushing in a single season uh, in the National Football League? I know AP had one of those years. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Okay, okay. Um, Barry Sanders was one of those guys too. Barry Sanders is on this list, correct? Hmm. Not Frank Gore. No, not Frank Gore. Up there in yards rushing, but never at a two thousand yarder. Okay, um, not Lashawn McCoy, no. No. Um, I'm trying to think of other like big name running backs. Are they current? Or are they a little bit older now? Uh, all the guys that you have on this list have retired at this point. Nobody is uh, on an active roster. Okay. One How of the, far back are we one talking? Of these... Like. Uh, some 70s, and mostly 80s guys. Let's just say mostly around the 80s. Some of these guys maybe entered late 70s, but most of their careers was in the 80s, except for this guy was in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, played with the 01 uh, Super Bowl winning uh, Baltimore Ravens. 
Was oh, that'd be um, Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis, Jamal Lewis is on this. Good. Good. Okay. And you got three other names on this list, and they're all now older guys, 70s, 80s guys is what I mostly associate them with. Okay. Uh, Eric Dickerson? Eric, nice, man. Eric Dickerson is on this list. Good job. Good job. How many do I have left? Two. Two. Um, and they're both one 70s guy guys? Just, that's more eight. Let's go more eighties on these guys. Uh, these guys were more eighties. Dickerson started in, I want to say the later seventies, but maybe this guy started around 79, 78, but they were mostly eighties guys. Actually, this one guy, uh, got away with murdering his wife. OJ. <laughs> OJ. You gotta have OJ on the show at some point. And last guy, TD is his initials. TD from the eighties. Yeah, maybe he was early, the 90s too at some point. But I want to say he started in the uh, 80s. Hmm. That is just mind-boggling me right now. Um. Uh, at more 90s. This guy wasn't, yeah, I'm sorry. This guy's more okay. 90s, I should say. Okay, okay. Uh, Terrell Davis. 90s. Terrell Davis, yeah, sorry. This guy's more 90s. It should have been uh, with Denver, too. With Denver. But yeah, he had a 98, 2008 yards rushing with a league leading 21 rushing touchdowns. Uh, and I meant to mention that he was a Hall of Famer. Sorry, that was my bad, but you got through that whole list, Sean Conway. Excellently uh, executed this week. What are you drinking on, sir? Well, since you asked, I figured since we're doing a, uh, uh, right now it's about 11 a.m. Central Time. And I uh, yes. started the show around 10 o'clock today. 10, I yeah, it might 10 be a little too early in the day for me to be drinking a beer. Uh, yeah, a good call, good week. call. Um, and there's a reason for that. I've started a new job where I am doing remote business-to-business -business sales over the phone with uh, for a software company that helps car dealerships connect with their online leads within like 60 seconds of them submitting that online lead. So I figured I probably shouldn't. So I started off the show today by having a, uh, a mixture of my iced tea from uh, Lion's Irish Black Tea and a little bit of lemonade. But then I got to thinking, Ooh. you know, that's like, that's like a homemade Arnold Palmer. Right. I don't need to, you know, continue drinking, but there's no harm, no foul in making this Arnold Palmer into a John Daly. So I may or may not have added a splash of Tito's to this. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's probably like John Daly too with the Tito's. <laughs> yep, yep, that that tastes like a John Daly, that's for sure. So that's what I'm drinking on right now. You a little bit of caffeine, a little bit of sugar, just a little, little, little teensy of a bit of liquor. Yeah. What else? What else? What do we miss this week? Uh, not too much, Sean. Um, just a couple things uh, around there. First off, John Muckler uh, died this week. He was the coach of uh, the Edmonton Oilers that won those five Stanley Cups. Uh, Muckler, again, one of the greatest coaches in uh, NHL history, died uh at age 86, this past Monday night, no cause was given, but, you know, age 86, that is pretty up there in age. Either way, uh, you know, we our hearts go out to the Muckler family and the NHL family that uh, mourns him right now. Again, one of the greatest to ever, ever coach the game, winning five cups. Again, all with those great Edmonton Oilers team 
uh, has passed away at age 86. Uh, somebody who's had, who had a hospital scare but is on the bright side of this, that's Tommy Lasorda. If you remember, seven weeks ago, Sean, we mentioned that he was put in the hospital while he just got discharged from the hospital. Lasorda, age 93, uh, has been, uh, again, has been in intensive care since the middle of November. He is out, so that is great to see. Obviously, he was the Dodgers coach from 1976 to 96, and he led him to about just just under 1,600 regular season wins and two world titles in his um, time there. Uh, last piece of baseball news before I'll give the fans something to watch for tonight. Um, Cubs, Cubs making news in the broadcast uh, booth. Uh, Glenn Casper stepping down. I believe he's actually joining the White Sox broadcast Yeah, that's old booth, news, Sean. man. That was, that was months ago. Yeah, no, but I knew that piece. That piece is old, but John Chiambi, Boog, he's replacing Len Casper. That's the news of the week. Um, I just forgot where Len was going. I'm like, wait, no, that is the sacks. But uh, either way, I'm glad to have as a Cub fan. A lot of people, I think, in Chicago will be happy to have Boog around. Uh, was with uh, the Sunday night ESPN telecast for a long time. I thought did a great job with that. And his envision and his enthusiasm already for accepting the job is awesome. I can't wait to have Boog in the broadcast booth. As you guys know, I am a Cub fan. Last piece of news, let's get to fight porn. Yeah. (laughs) Um... We didn't talk any uh, basketball really this week, or I should say college basketball. Only important game of this week or ranked matchup is tonight. Number 16, Minnesota taking on 9-0, number 10 in the country, Michigan. That's a 7.30 game central time on the Big Ten Network. But that's about it for what we missed this week. What do we got in Fight Corner? Well, we don't have any upcoming fights for this weekend, but I figured I'd share a little piece of news that was Pretty entertaining from this past weekend of sure. fights. There was a uh, there was a, a, a fight card on DAZN that included the up and coming lightweight contender Ryan Garcia, and he dropped the 2012 Olympic gold medalist from London, Luke Campbell, with a left hook to the body that ended the bout in the seventh round. But the real knockout of the night came in the post fight interview with Garcia's father, Henry. When DAZN announcer Kate Abdo complimented the fighter's father for his ability to produce well. But her choice of words was was weird, I would say. The actual quotes said, or I should say, produce good sperm is what she had said. And the actual <laughs> quote said, you make them pretty. You make them athletic. That's some... That's some good sperm you got there, sir. <laughs> to which Henry looked baffled at first. Like, did she just say sperm to me? And all he could respond was, thank you, Kate. <laughs> That's all his response was, thank you, Kate. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> That's so great. That That's truly cool. So uh, you, we don't have any fights to preview uh, for this upcoming weekend. But next week, we'll have a recap of the wild card action from the NFL as well as the title game between Bama and Ohio State, as long as they don't push the game back due to, you know, COVID reasons or whatever. And we'll kick off the final four round of action in bids and snubs, along with much, much more. Maybe some baseball, maybe some basketball, maybe some hockey. But that's what we have to look forward to next week. 
And until then, I'm going to yeah. make some calls on uh, on some John Daly today. Hey, you know what? Good for you, though. Exactly. Have a little John Daly. Make those business calls. Promote those sales. It's not a bad day. Sean, we didn't talk really at all about baseball today, and that's fine. And we kind of like to have this last moment right here of the show just kind of dedicated to something that's going in our crazy world. And according to the Boston Globe, my friend, the Boston Red Sox are going to hire Bianca Green as a minor league coach, making her the first black female coach in professional baseball history. Um... It has been a lot. Uh, uh, she has had plenty of MLB experiences with both the Rangers and the Reds in her past, so this won't be her first one. But, I mean, it's a huge breakthrough for uh, f- you know females in the sports industry where these jobs traditionally go to male. We've seen a lot of it this year, Sean. And I just wanted to bring this up. Once I saw this, I thought this is a pretty cool point. It's nice to see uh, uh, females moving up in the sports world. In September, we saw the uh, Washington-Cleveland game uh, had its first uh, contest with uh, to feature female coaches on both sidelines and a female official on the field. In December, if you remember, uh, Vanderbilt's uh, Sarah Fuller became the first female uh, to score points in a Power 5 game. And uh, last, not not this, um, obviously today's Wednesday, but last Wednesday, a week ago, uh, the Spurs' Becky Harmon became the first female in an NBA game to coach when she took over Greg Popovich's uh, ejection. So a lot of firsts going there. Obviously, to Kim Ang, the Marlins' new GM. A lot of new first positions for women in sports this year. Uh, I just thought it was a good way to kind of wrap the show up. Uh, I wanted to show appreciation, especially again to Bianca Breen, uh, who, again, this week has been given a, a coaching job in the minor leagues uh, for the Red Sox. I just thought that was really... Really cool and a good way to uh, wrap up the show this week. So, Sean Conway, you enjoy those John Dailies, sir. I got to actually get back to work myself as I'm in the uh, midst of class, technically. We don't have students today. But I got to go chat with some teachers, so let me hop on to that. And to all the fans and listeners of the podcast, we'll see you right here next week on the Sports Hog Podcast. I'm Max Zuber, signing off for Sean Conway. Have a great week, folks.